and learn about your kingdom and what that means for us. God, I pray um, as we, uh, we meet together as one uh, large group, God, we just we focus on you and your word. God, what it means for us to live in the kingdom and, and live in it now. God, I pray uh, for those who are out of town who are gone with, with trips or whatever they're doing, God, just keep them safe. God, I pray that they um, find ways to glorify you uh, this morning. I pray for our, our large group time as a corporate body here in an hour. God, we pray that you are uh, worshipped above all, that you are that we worship you in spirit and truth, and that we, uh, we praise your name, God, like that you deserve, and that we push out thoughts and, and distractions and things, God, and God, we just truly worship you today. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so like I said, we are a little, a little over halfway through this curriculum, so we'll finish up in a few more months. So the first week, or the first month, if you don't remember, way back, it feels like it's been forever ago, because i it's, it was rescue, that in our shadow world we needed a savior and redeemer. That was the first um, series. Then we had identity, that Christ died on the cross to give us a new identity. That putting off our sin and shame and taking on his righteousness was the second series. The third was community, that we are not created to be alone and to be in community with other believers. And the last one we just finished up uh, two weeks ago was apologetics, being able to explain our hope in Christ to other people. So that's kind of where we've been. You saw the video there on, on the kingdom. But God invites us to rise above the kingdom of the world and participate in his against the flow, his upside down, countercultural, world changing kingdom. Because what Christ does is so very different than what this world does. So Jesus, when he came, he ushered in God's kingdom when he was here on earth. But that kingdom. Um, since he was here, it's met opposition. You know, Satan is trying to build a kingdom here as well. Um, the Bible talks about Satan as the prince of this earth. I mean, that's, that's, that's a title given to him, that he is the ruler of this earth. And so he's trying to build a kingdom here as well. And so we live in that tension between those two kingdoms, these two different ways of life. So when Jesus comes back, God's kingdom will take over completely. And Jesus will reign as king. You guys should smile because that's good news because right now life kind of sucks. When he comes back, he will reign as king. But for now, we live in this time in between. So the question this morning is, how do we participate in God's kingdom as we are awaiting the return of Jesus? And so there are two paths that we talked about that are marked out for us. The world's way and God's way. And so on your journey, like I said, I can't make you follow Jesus, but on your own journey following Jesus, you will find that many of the things Jesus says and does totally crash through the rest of, of the world's perspective. What he says, what he teaches, what he's doing is totally different than what this world does. So in order to discover this idea in depth, you need to understand that even though there are a lot of countries in the world today there are really just two primary kingdoms at war. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And so I'm going to ask you this, give you guys some answers. I want you guys to actually say some things out loud this morning. It would be great if you guys did that. Um, so what are some of the messages that you hear from the world? What are some of the things that the world is telling you, teaching you, showing you? What are some of the promises that companies make in advertising, that kind of stuff? What are some things that you guys see that the world is telling you? Yeah, you do. Do what? Yeah, he's okay. 
All right, what else? What are some of the messages that the world is telling us? We have to look a certain way? Exactly, yeah. What else? Man. You have, uh, you know, follow your heart. Everyone tells you to follow your heart. Do, do what makes you happy. I don't know if you know what the Bible says, but the Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things. So don't, don't, don't follow your heart because that's, that's going to get you in trouble. Uh, you're gonna, you'll be happy if you have this product. You'll be happy if you do this certain thing. Your people will like you if you look a certain way or have these certain clothes or live in a certain place. Back in 2015, Coca-Cola launched a campaign called Choose Happiness. And they encouraged people to go beyond seeing the glass half full, but to take action to fill the glass back up themselves. And so here's one of the, uh, the commercials for it. Wait and wait. Like happiness is someone's destiny event. But why wait for happiness to happen to you when it's something we can just choose to do? Grab it tight and mold it with both hands. It's good. How happiness enhance the best friends. Your hands can't affect the entire world with a beat. And have everyone dance, slap along and move the feet. They can bring a smile or bring a frown. Cheer you up or put you down. Share a laugh. they had back, back then. And so they, they did some research into teenage happiness and here are some of what they found in their um, survey. That uh, 78% of European teenagers agree that choosing to be happy is more important than anything else you can do in your life. 78% said choosing to be happy is more important than anything else. Happiness is higher on the agenda for teens today than for previous generations. And they saw so that teenagers now um, believe to experience happiness now, not in the nearly now. So how is Coca-Cola's advertising campaign different from what God says we should live for and do with our lives? What, what is, what's the difference between that commercial and choosing happiness and what God says? Are we always going to be happy? I mean... Is happiness guaranteed to us as followers of Christ? Are, are things always going to go just peachy and fantastic? No, you know, Jesus promised the complete opposite of that. And so this world tries to tell us that, that, that happiness is a right given to you, that you should be happy. And yes, you should be happy, but it doesn't mean there won't be hard days. It doesn't mean there's going to be hard times. That you might even fight through some of that stuff. But it's, just, it's a little different than what the world tells us and what God is telling us. So for the next four weeks, we're going to discuss the countercultural teachings of Jesus. And today we're going to kind of unpack the idea of, of what it would look like if Jesus were king in your life, if you choose to participate in that kingdom. That's what this is. It's a, it's a kingdom. The only way you can be part of that kingdom is if he is truly uh, your king. So first thing here is 
Jesus is king and he wants us to participate in his kingdom. Before Jesus came onto the scene, there was this guy. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 3. There was this guy who was actually Jesus' cousin who was teaching about some of these things. And the message of John the Baptist, you see in Matthew 3, uh, 1 and 2, it says, Repent. Um, well, it says, uh, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And saying, The time is fulfilled. Oh, my bad. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Down to verse uh, 15. And so, that's, actually, that's, actually some, that's Jesus' first teachings there. The very first recorded words, like I said, Jesus, of course, spoke before this passage. But the very first recorded words of Jesus we have in all the Bible is this. The time of the field and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's very similar to what John the Baptist was preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this idea of kingdom is so important that both John the Baptist... But the Bible said was the precursor to Jesus, like pointing people to, towards Jesus, precursor, but pointing people towards Jesus, saying, hey, he's coming. And the, for Jesus' first recorded words in Scripture is, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If it's so important that those two, are like the first sermons here in, in, that we see here, um, then what exactly is this kingdom of, of God talking about? So that, you know, for a long time, and, and still now, the world kind of follows its own way, right? The world kind of does what it wants. Does you guys do what you want sometimes? Nobody. Awesome. Everybody just okay. But ever since Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden, humans have followed their own selfish desires. They continually choose to live for themselves rather than loving their loving Creator. And this lifestyle defies the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of the world, people only care about pleasing themselves. It's a kingdom built on the foundation of showboating, self-preservation, and, and me-first attitudes. But Jesus came into the kingdom of the world to share the good news of the kingdom of God. So the world was, was living in darkness, but he offered a light, which is himself. And if you read the, the Gospels and see the teachings of Jesus, he spoke frequently about this kingdom. In Luke 4, 43, he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So Jesus spoke about this kingdom all the time. And he was praised and he was worshipped as a king. So we see there in Luke 19, it says, As as he, Jesus, was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works uh, that they had saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. We know this is Palm Sunday, right? We see this, this happens. So even with all this talk about the kingdom, not even some of Jesus' disciples fully understood what it meant that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. They knew that Jesus had the supernatural power to overthrow kings and kingdoms. Because you have, if you know anything about church history and kind of what, what's taking place, you have... The Old Testament, New Testament, correct? You guys know this? Hopefully you guys know Old Testament, New Testament. There's a time in between the last recorded writings that we have in our Old Testament and the first appearance of Jesus in the New. There's a few hundred years there. It's called the intertestamental period. And there, in this time, there's a bunch of revolts that are being led by different people within uh, the Jewish culture. One of the biggest ones that we know of, that we kind of talk about it or know, may know about, is from Judas Maccabees. 
Anybody know who that is? Anybody ever heard of the Jewish Maccabees? Anybody? Anybody ever heard of Hanukkah? That's the story of Hanukkah. These people trying to have a revolt. They didn't have enough oil to light the lamp. Trying to fight. And oil lasted for eight days. And it should have lasted for one. And so you have different people who kept rising up. People thought this was the Messiah. They're going to like beat the sun out of Rome. And, and finally take back their land. And somebody would rise up. And then they would be squashed. And so on and so forth. So when, when Jesus showed up. They thought he had. They're like you, know, you have the power to overthrow all these things. Overthrow the Romans. And get us back to being this kingdom here on earth and for you to wield a sword and do some cool stuff. So they, they expected the Messiah to be a mighty warrior, kind of like King David. But of course, that's not what Jesus did. But the, the, this was just the prevailing thought at the time that it was going to be someone with a sword coming and, and kicking butt and taking names. Because we have what happened in the, in the garden when Jesus was being arrested. Anybody remember what Peter did? Man. It's okay to say it out loud, I promise. What happened? He's not Jesus three times, yes? What else, though, in, in, specifically in the garden? When Jesus is getting arrested, what does he do? He, he, he what? He pulled out a sword and cut off the dude's ear. Because he was ready to fight, right? And so that's kind of what they thought this kingdom of God was going to be. It's going to be a big fight against the Romans. And so he was ready to fight for Jesus. We cut off some dude's ear. And Jesus was like, dude, calm down. This is something we're going to do. And put the ear back. That'd be, that would have been a weird scene. But anyways. But Jesus was coming to usher in the kingdom of God. It was not yet to be fully established. And it was a different kind of kingdom than what they were expecting. And what they were maybe hoping to have. So we've seen that Jesus came to talk about the kingdom. But what does it look like for us, for you and I today, to live in this kingdom? Because I believe... That participating, I don't know, he broke it. Participation in God's kingdom is countercultural. We're going to be, and if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 5. There's a lot of passages you see. This is called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. A lot of things in it that Jesus is teaching that just very goes against what the culture and what the world believes. Um, I have the privilege of, of preaching next Sunday morning, um, so feel free to stay home. Um, because. Doug texted me, called me, or texted me and said, Hey, I know it's a week of camp, but can you preach for me? Sure, I'll do it. I was like, All right, we're in the middle of the uh, You Asked For It series. Okay, cool. It's like, So I want you to follow along and, and do one of the questions. Sure. Your topic is adultery. I'm like, Man, you get led with that. So I have to preach on adultery next week. So it's okay if you want to stay home. And there's no little disciples, so which means I'm going to have all the kids in there. I got to use code words next week. So, anyways, so yeah. But what Jesus talked about, you'll see that I'm going to use it for one of the passages from Matthew 5 next week and see that Jesus was countercultural. Everyone talks about adultery. But here, um, you see that he is countercultural because you have Matthew 5, 39 through 42. It says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You turn the, turn the cheek. We've, we've seen and heard this phrase. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, like your cloak, your coat kind of thing, let it, your tunic, your shirt. Let him have your cloak as well. In verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. He's very countercultural. He's saying, don't seek revenge. Be generous even to those who steal from you. That's not like typically in our nature to do, right? We like to seek revenge. And we don't really want to be generous to people who steal from us. That's just 
Doesn't go, that, that goes against everything that's, that we, we are as humans, correct? Like if somebody's mean to you, does something to you, it's easier to get revenge, correct? I mean, we want it, we want it out for somebody. Or if somebody steals from you, it's not very easy to say, hey, here's some more money. Right? That's not, that's not, that goes against everything that's just in us as human beings. You can go down just a couple verses to uh, verse 44. It says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That one's easy. It's easy for us to love our enemies, right? No, again, this goes against everything that's in us as humans. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have to go into a lot more details. You guys can kind of interpret that for yourselves there. Love your enemies. And you go down to chapter 6 in verse 1. Maybe. It says, uh, Beware of practicing your righteousness before the people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he's saying, give to those who need it, but don't make a big deal about it. You know, and, you know on social media, you kind of see people who are like, they'll, we talked about this a few weeks ago, like kind of the humble brag. You remember that two weeks ago on Wednesday night, the humble brag? That people are like, man, there's so many homeless people, but look at all these things I did for them, right? Don't do things and, and give to people with, and knowing that people are going to, and, and making a way where people are going to look at you and then see how awesome you are. That's, so give to people, give to those in need, but don't make a big deal about it. Don't desire recognition or fame for what it is you're trying to do. And just the very next verse in 5 through 7. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. So he's saying, whenever you pray, don't go on the street corner with your bullhorn and just pray, pray to God right there where everybody can see. He says, go in your closet, spend some time, you and God alone. And it says, you don't need to pray long, babbling, repetitive prayers that for everybody can kind of see how pious you are. That's the opposite of what he's trying to do. He says, Pray in secret. Pray like you're talking to your friend. You don't have to use big churchy words, I promise. God will still understand what you're trying to say. They haven't used huge words that I don't understand either. All right? So just pray to God like he's your friend. And then go down a few verses to verse 14. It says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Forgiving people when they sin against you. That's always, again, that's against what we like to do, right? Somebody sins against you and you want to seek revenge, this is telling us to forgive those people. A couple verses down in 16. And when you fast, I'm going to just side note a little rabbit trail. It says, and when you fast, not if you fast. It says when, indicating that we should be fasting. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. 
And a father who sees in secrets will reward you. So he's teaching, when you fast, don't be like everybody else and make it where people can tell you fast, where you look kind of sick and gloomy and maybe have some makeup on, make you look even worse than you really are. But since, you know, shower, basically, take care of yourself and, and fast in a way that people don't even know you're fasting. A few verses down in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To say, don't hoard wealth or treasures for yourself. You know, you're not, whenever you die, you're not going to be able to take those things with you. Right? You know this, correct? Like the ancient Egyptians, they believed that you would take these things in the afterlife. That's why if you go into these, you know, tombs of, you know, pharaohs and stuff, there's all this stuff because they thought they could take it with them. We cannot take anything with us. To say, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. But do things for your treasures in heaven. And then just in the next chapter, in verses 1 and 2, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's easy. Don't judge other people. Very countercultural to what this world tells us we should be doing. And so where can you see the tension between the kingdom of God, of the, or the kingdom of the world, and the kingdom of God? What does it look like? In real life. And because you guys are just super talkative this morning, I'm going to go ahead and answer that question for you. Just, you know, go to like to your school whenever you were a kid in, in junior high, like the school lunchroom. The world says you cut in lunch, you know, you cut in line at lunch and you complain about the quality of food. The kingdom of God is as you wait patiently for your turn and you're thankful that you have food to eat. In the world, you gossip about a girl who's rumored to be pregnant. The kingdom of God, you pray for that girl and you extend friendship to her. In the world, you make fun of a kid who doesn't fit in and sits by himself. But in the world, you invite, or in the kingdom of God, you invite him to sit at your table and you get to know this person. It's so different to be living in the kingdom of God in this world. It's going to look completely different and you will get made fun of and that's okay. That's fantastic. Like I said, Jesus promised that to us. And so... You know, I encourage you guys, because like I said, we, most of us probably live, I don't want to make too many assumptions, but most of us probably live more towards the kingdom of the world than we do the kingdom of God. And I'm, I'm, that's me too. Then we're called to look different and be different, because when somebody looks at you and sees, man, they, they know you're a Christian, they look at you and you live the exact same way as them, they're like, why do I even want any part of who these people are? It's just going to be different. I mean, they're the same. Why should I even try to follow them and to be Christ-like? They look just like me. And so Jesus' message is very difficult from the way the world lives. If you've ever kayak, anybody ever been kayaking before? One person. One person been kayaking. So one, if you've ever been kayaked on or canoed, you know that it's easiest to travel with the current, correct? It's easier to go with the current than try to swim up the current. Um, if you have the paddles, you kind of just slice through the water, and you don't have to do a whole lot of paddling because the current is doing most of the work. Now you're trying to travel upstream, maybe to try to get to the, to the you know, maybe went past a little bit of the dock where you're supposed to go and trying to pedal or paddle back up current. It's a little more challenging. Anybody ever try to swim, like just maybe swim against the current somewhere? It's, it's not that easy. It's pretty tiring. And that's kind of what it feels like to, to live in the kingdom of God. You, you're living in a way that, that goes against the flow of this world and, and the rest of what your culture and what your friends are doing. 
So though Jesus came to earth to establish God's kingdom, Satan is still working here, very active today. So until Jesus returns, the kingdom of the world will try to silence the kingdom of God. So if you really want to live in God's kingdom, you need to prepare for that uphill battle. It's not going to be easy. And so I'm going to ask you, so anybody ever like infomercials? Anybody stay up late and ever watch an, like an infomercial? You know what an infomercial is? Yeah. Infomercials are those commercials on TV where they're trying to sell you a product and like, the, like it's like they always have the worst people in the world in the commercials. Because it's like they open up the cabinet and all the Tupperware falls on them like a big avalanche. They're trying to pour like milk into the bowl and like it just gets everywhere. Like they can't do basic tasks. Right? They're trying to sell some product to you. So can you imagine watching late at night an infomercial and this is kind of what they're saying. If you follow what our product says, you may not feel good, or you may not get rich, or you may not gain attention, you may not have an easy life. Actually, if you follow the advice from this product, there's a good chance that you will be persecuted and mocked. Um, in fact, our product comes with a warning label that says it will probably make you meek and uh, last and poor instead of flashy first and rich. How many of you guys would buy that product? Probably not very many, right? That's, most people probably would not be excited about a product like that. But we should participate in God's kingdom because He is worthy. So if God's kingdom isn't focused on happiness, why would anybody want to live in God's kingdom? If the world is against the kingdom of God, whom can I turn to and help as I try to live in God's kingdom? So the question again, why should we live in the kingdom of God? In Hebrews 12, it's Hebrews remarks, sorry, Mark 10 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Hebrews 12, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Did you hear that? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Most of us probably wouldn't count his crucifixion as joy, right? Correct? Anybody? Count what he went through as joyful? He says, who for the, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So again, why should we live in the kingdom of God? Because Jesus is worthy of our lives. He did not owe us anything. In fact, we are the ones who owed him everything. And Jesus, he always practiced what he preached. And he's God's son. He had every right to be served, but he gave his life up for us. John 14, 6. You guys should know that verse. We looked at it. This is a few nights ago on Wednesday. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because it's true. The world offers us false promises and lies, but God and his kingdom are the truth. So we have another question. Who can help us live in this kingdom of God? Hebrews 4 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us stand with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we have Jesus. He is the one who ushered in this kingdom of God, right? So Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, and we can run to him whenever we need help living in his kingdom. That just makes sense, right? If we're trying to live in God's kingdom, who can help us? Jesus. John 17, 
says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may, all, they, they may be all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. But it is, we don't have just Jesus to, to make it through this world. We have other believers. That's, that's these people here. You see this? Look around you. Look at your neighbors. That's us. We have other people to make it through this life. Before Jesus was crucified, he prayed for those who would become Christians in the future. He prayed that they would have unity in the face of persecution and hatred that would come their way. So as you faithfully seek to follow our King, Jesus Christ, know that the day is coming when there will be no longer be two kingdoms. There will only be one kingdom, that is the kingdom of God. We will stand in front of the king, and if we choose to participate in his kingdom, we will hear him say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. I cannot wait for that day. So a question I want to ask you guys as we kind of get ready to close. Let's think about some things. What, what kingdom do you serve? Are you serving the kingdom of God, or are you serving the kingdom of the world? Or who is, who is the king of your life? Is it you or is it God? Maybe, you know, how, can, how can you tell? You know, what evidence is there in your life to which kingdom that you're a part of? And if you find yourself following the kingdom of the world, what needs to change for you to uh, embrace the kingdom of God? Because we're called to live differently, to to. To look like Jesus, which looks nothing like this world looks. That we're called to, to put aside our own selfish desires and interests and to pursue Christ. And when we begin to follow the kingdom of God, our lives will look different. We may be made fun of, we may be persecuted, we may lose friends, we may lose friendships, relationships, whatever it may be. But I promise you it is so worth it if you choose to follow the kingdom of God. I think for this... This chance this morning just to dig into your word and to see that there are, in fact, truly two kingdoms right now. God, we know which, which kingdom we need to be a part of. God, I pray you, you direct these kids' hearts and their lives and these teachers. God, that they, they choose daily to be following in the kingdom of God. God, it's a choice that we need to make every single morning when we get up that we're going to choose to follow you. God, I pray for these students and these adults in this room that Maybe been struggling in the last few weeks or months of, of, of walking daily with you. God, I pray that they're challenged uh, to, to start today. That it's, they're not so far gone, God, that they, they can still have their relationship with you. May they pursue you. And may they love you every day. I pray for this next hour and a half or so that we just worship you in spirit and truth. God, that we, we pour our hearts out to you. That we sing. We listen to your word, God. And we... We expect an encounter with you this morning. Say my prayer. Amen.